uh, okay, the trees, we're, the trees, the trees, the trees. I think one of the things that's happened over the last week or so uh, in our neighborhood, at least in our little corner of the neighborhood, is my middle daughter, Jeanette, has taken to tree climbing. And there is a fig tree that's kind of on the corner, uh, kind of catty corner from our house. I think it's about 20 feet high, the tree, would you say? It's, when I look at the top of where she's climbing in this tree, it's probably as, about as high as, you know, a lot of these kind of one-story houses that you would see. And I look up at her in this tree, and it's both terrifying, and I'm also just so proud. I remember climbing trees as a kid, too, as a little boy, and, you know, I can only imagine now. Now I know what my parents felt when they'd watch me climb higher and higher and higher. And you think, oh, man, just one slip, and she's going to be, we'll be over in the ER. But um, it's interesting because the tree that she's climbing is a fig tree. It's, our neighbor has a fig tree, and it's this beautiful fig tree. Um, and we're going to talk about this. In the Bible, there's a story of a sycamore fig tree, which is the famous story of Hill. Zacchaeus, right? It's this famous story of Zacchaeus. And, and Zacchaeus climbs the sycamore fig tree uh, in Luke 19. And I want to talk about that. But one of the things I want to say as we kind of jump into it is when I read this passage and really kind of began to understand this passage, I realized that I had been reading this passage wrong. Um, and, and part of that is because of how Sunday school has, um, has kind of taken this story and, and, and shaped the story in a certain way that we kind of, we, we miss the point of what Jesus is really doing here, right? Um, this is a really, the story of Zacchaeus, we kind of read it with those Sunday school eyes, but it is really, really a challenging and relevant passage for us today, right? So, let's look at it. Let's look at this passage. It's Luke 19, uh, verses 1 through 10, if you've got a Bible. Or a phone, or a tablet. It's Luke 19. It's the first 10 verses, the story of Zacchaeus. Okay. So here we go. The story of Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and could not see over the crowd... He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to uh, be the guest of a sinner. Right? I like in the message, uh, it says, Everyone who saw the incident was indignant. They were angry. They were furious and grumped. Right? And grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Okay? So, um, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, I want to start with the format of this passage because I can't stress this enough as I kind of have been learning. Uh, One of the things that's really stood out as we've been studying these trees and these passages is how the Bible uses um, repetitions, echoes, um, they, they use patterns to help people memorize and know and learn the scripture, okay? So here's the pattern of this text. The pattern goes a little bit like this. First, you have Jesus. Now, Jesus, if you were to take his name in Hebrew, Jesus' name would be Yeshua, and this is important. And Yeshua equals salvation. Right? So Jesus comes to Jericho. He goes to Jericho, but then the Bible says that he's actually passing through. So he's on his way out of Jericho, right? So Jesus kind of is going to Jericho. Salvation is going to Jericho. The next piece is this. You have Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a rich man. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, right? Zacchaeus is a rich man. The next piece is this. The crowd is hostile. They block him from seeing Jesus, right? So you, have a, you kind of have a crowd that's hostile. They're blocking him from seeing Jesus, right? Now, then Zacchaeus goes up the tree. Then in, you have part five. You have, um, have Jesus' act of unexpected, costly love. Okay? You see this? Now watch, it's going to fan back out the other way. Zacchaeus goes, what does he do next? If he went up the tree here, what's he going to do here? Down. Down the tree, right? What about the crowd? The crowd's what? <laughs> it's not the opposite here, right? But the crowd is what? The crowd's angry, right? The crowd's furious. The crowd's indignant. They're grumpy. Oh, wait. This is six, seven, eight, right? What happens to Zacchaeus? Is Zacchaeus a rich man? He's a poor man, right? And we're going to squeeze number nine down here, right? Number nine, what happens is now Jesus, Yeshua, what's verse nine say? Salvation has come to who? You see how that works? So again, the Bible often will do this. The Bible is using patterns, repetitions, echoes, different alliterations to help people. Remember, in an illiterate culture, they would have no idea. This is, this is one of the ways that you would remember the story. I could almost say that if you all closed your eyes right now, you could think through that story 
just by that, right? It also helps to, to point us to what I would say, it points us to the climax. It points us to the most important thing. Often we think about like a climax in a movie or a book or a film, and it kind of always happens at the end. The climax of this whole passage is right here, right? Every, this is pointing this way. This is pointing this way, right? It's all pointing to Jesus's act of unexpected and costly love, okay? So, since we're in a series on trees, let's talk about three things this morning. I want to talk about trees. I want to talk about Zacchaeus. Then I want to talk about Jesus. Okay? We got to talk about trees for a second just because we're in the series on trees and we have all these beautiful trees around us, right? The Bible says that Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore fig tree. When you guys are looking at your translations, anybody have anything different out there? Sycamore fig? Sycamore fig tree, right? Interesting thing about sycamore fig trees, a couple things. Um, and they're similar to, the, like I, was, I started at the beginning, the, the fig tree that my daughter's been climbing. They have these parallel branches, right? That are parallel to the ground branches are perpendicular to the tree. And they're almost stair-step branches that kind of go up. You look at some of these trees around us, and all the branches kind of go in this way. The sycamore kind of almost goes a little bit more um, parallel or horizontal to the ground, right? It makes it really easy to climb. The other thing about these sycamore fig trees, as the commentators point out, is that the leaves are very big. I'm, I meant to bring one of these fig leaves, but the leaves are literally this big. And it makes the tree easy to hide in, right? So... For a short person, like my daughter Jeanette, right, it's easy to climb. It's also easy to hide in. There, there was a bunch of kids climbing the tree yesterday. You could probably put four or five, six kids in that tree, and you'd have no idea. That's how leafy and green the tree is. If you'd put four or five kids in any of these trees around here, you'd see them easily, right? But this tree, you could hide them easily. The second thing about these sycamore fig trees, and this kind of um, is, is this part, there was commentary that trees were actually not allowed in kind of town centers, in cities, inside, inside towns. The trees actually had to be planted outside of, of the city. There was one commentary um, in the Mishnah. It was, it was an oral commentary on the Old Testament, right? And the Mishnah says that these sycamore fig trees are not allowed to be grown within 75 feet of a town, Right? So within 75 feet, you are not allowed to have any of these trees. Now, Zacchaeus climbs up this tree as Jesus is kind of leaving town, right? So maybe the crowd's following Jesus a little bit. Maybe the crowd's starting to disperse, right? And Zacchaeus has climbed up this tree because he wants to see Jesus, right? So he's up in this fig tree. He's up in this sycamore fig tree. Now, I want to talk about Zacchaeus for a second, but before we do, we got to go back and look at one other story, which, which would have been told in parallel or would have been told in connection with this story. Um, if you have your Bible right there, it's just the, the verses right before. It's about a blind beggar receiving his sight. So go to Luke 18, 35. It's the last seven verses, right? So here, as Jesus approached Jericho in verse 35, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what is happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, right? Um, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be, uh, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When the people, when all the people saw it, they praised God also. Okay? So here in this story, we have a, a, a story about this guy blind. Most people, most other um, passages, his name is Bartimaeus, right? Blind Bartimaeus. And again, maybe you're familiar with this one. But in this passage that just precedes the Zacchaeus passage, You guys all got this? The whole, the whole flow? In the Bartimaeus passage, right? Or the blind beggar. The bling beggar. Right? In the blind beggar passage, what you have is you have, I would say, someone who is oppressed. Right? Think about uh, this blind Bartimaeus for a second, right? He's blind, right? He's begging on the side of the road. He um, is hurt. He's struggling. The crowd has rejected him. He's been rebuked. He's been afflicted. He's been mistreated. He's someone who has forgotten And it is exactly that person as the crowd says, be quiet, they're rebuking him, shut up, stay away. It's exactly that person that Jesus says, come on up here, I want to heal you. When we read the Bible, let's just make one point really, really clear, right? When we read the Bible, it's impossible to read the Bible and not see how God, specifically God and Jesus, um, so often sides and gives favor to the oppressed, right? to those who are afflicted, to those who are marginalized, to those who are poor, to those who are broken. Are you with me on that, right? Anytime you just look at the Bible, anytime you read the Bible, that is abundantly clear how God sides with those who are oppressed, right? This is just a great example right here of the blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, back to Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus um, is what's called a a tax farmer, right? Zacchaeus, your Bible probably says he's a chief tax collector, right? The chief tax collector not only is collecting taxes, but is collecting taxes for people who work underneath him, right? So imagine if I was the chief tax collector and all of you guys were underneath me collecting taxes throughout Eastgate Park or this neighborhood, right? And you had to then report what taxes you collected to me. Let's do some simple math. Let's say that um, Jesus calls a a tax collector to be one of his disciples, a guy named Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector by the Sea of Galilee, okay? Here's how it would work. You would come in with your catch of fish for the day, right? And uh, Dave, Dave, right? 
Dave, you would be the tax collector sitting at the Sea of Galilee, right? And Dave, you would know that if Matthew caught 50 fish, right, you would know that the Roman tax of that 50 fish would be 25, right? But you know that you need to make a little bit of money on that, right? You need to get a little tax on that. So you're going to say to the, the poor fisherman, let's say Dustin's your poor fisherman, you're going to say, you know what, actually, sir, the tax is 40, right? So you're going to take another 15 fish on top of that, right? Now you're going to report, your, have I lost anybody? This is a lot of hard math. <laughs> you're going to report your taxes to Zacchaeus, right? And Zacchaeus is going to say, because you're under me as a tax collector, I'll take... I don't know, whatever your agreement is, I don't know. Let's say Dustin is a generous guy. I'll take five of those fish, right? So Rome is going to get their 25. That's how they built their empire, right? And then Zacchaeus and or Dustin and Dave are going to get their cut, right, which is 15. So Dave's going to keep 10. Dustin's going to keep five. And if we add all that math up correctly, the poor fisherman is left with um, the poor fisherman is left with five fish, right? That's how it worked. That was the way that the situation worked. And when you talk about Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector, this is how he operated in the world, right? When we talk about tax collectors, we know that they were hated, that they were despised, that they were traded, uh, or they were traitors. We also know that in rabbinic literature, rabbinic literature would say it is actually condoned that you would lie to the tax collector, right? So if you were the fisherman, you wouldn't say that you caught 50 fish. You would hide 20 or 30 fish. You'd come in and say, oh man, it was a rough day. I only caught 17 fish, right? And you would try and hide those other fish. And rabbinic literature actually said you are expected to do that. Like, that's part of your duty as a Jew that you would lie to these tax collectors because you do not want to continue to fund the empire. You don't want to continue to fund the corruption. Are you with me so far? This is who Zacchaeus is. Here's what we miss in this story. Here's where we've missed in this story, right? And we've missed this, I would say, because of our Sunday school theology, okay? Zacchaeus, when we think of Zacchaeus, Just tell me, that we'll we'll have a little conversation. How do we think of Zacchaeus? What are some emotions that come to mind when we think of Zacchaeus? Huh? He's short, okay. He's short. He's rich. What else? Huh? He's greedy. He wanted to see Jesus? Okay. How do we feel about him, though, like, are we angry at Zacchaeus? Do we have compassion on him? Do we feel pity for him? Pity? What, do, do, when we read Zacchaeus, right, um, and especially Sunday school, it's like, here's this poor little short man having to climb trees to get money. This, this is kind of the dominant, the dominant feeling that we have for Zacchaeus is kind of this pity, this compassion. We feel sorry for him, right? Zacchaeus is usually identified as a sinner, someone who is lost, like a lost little sheep. We would probably lump him in maybe with the prostitutes or the drunks or the addicts or the homeless person, right? 
Sunday school has kind of taught us to have, you know, pity or compassion on this short little man climbing a tree. But if the blind beggar was oppressed, Zacchaeus, we have to understand, is the oppressor, right? He is not a lost sheep, but a ferocious wolf, right? He is aggressively devouring and stepping on the throats of those around him so that he can become more wealthy, more rich, more comfortable, right? People are starving. People are begging. People are hungry. While this man lives in luxury. We feel pity normally. We are supposed to feel outrage when we read this narrative. We are supposed to be sick and angry in our stomach when we read this narrative, right? Blind beggar is the oppressed and Zacchaeus is the oppressor. Now here's why the Bible, I think, places these two together and I think why it's so important, right? Um, There's a, a commentary that I've been reading by a guy named Ken Bailey and it's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And I, this is, I think I say this often, but there's sometimes when I'm reading stuff and I almost fall out of my seat. Um, this was one of those moments. Ken Bailey says this. I almost want to. I almost want to write it up here, but I'll. I'll just repeat it maybe two or three times. Right? Ken Bailey says this. He says, "Just because God often sides with the oppressed, right? And we we made that abundantly clear that God often sides with the oppressed. That He is with the oppressed people, the marginalized, the hurting, the broken, the afflicted, those outsiders. Just because God often sides with the oppressed does not always mean He opposes." the oppressor, right? It is possible to oppose the oppressor and still give comfort to them. Let me read that again. Just because God often sides with the oppressed does not mean he always opposes the oppressor. It is possible to oppose the oppressor oppressor and still give comfort to them. Now, let me talk about this moment and why this, these two guys are so absolutely relevant at this moment, right? These two guys. Um, Here's what's so relevant, right? That just because God often sides with the oppressed, who are the oppressed that we are currently seeing in our culture have a voice? Black people, right? The African-American community, right? I'm just going to put those right there, right? God sides with the oppressed, right? Just because God often sides with the oppressed does not mean that he always opposes the oppressor, right? Who's the current narrative of the oppressor? Right. Law enforcement. Cops, right? See, it's possible, and, and let, me, let me tease this out so don't, don't get all fired up on me quite yet, okay? Let me talk about this a little bit more because I know we're, we're treading on some, some really current cultural debate, Right? Just because God sides with the the oppressed, right, does not mean that he opposes necessarily the oppressor, right? It's possible to oppose the oppressor and still give comfort to them. Again, in our current cultural situation, the oppressor, you know, a lot of the anger is taken out on the police. The the, the kind of figurehead, I would say, of all that is is the um, officer in Minneapolis, Chauvin is his name, Derek Chauvin, right? Um... Imagine this. Imagine, imagine my wife and I decided, you know what? Um, I think that Chauvin 
I think that we should, we should pay his bail. We need to get him out of prison, right? We're going to pay his bail. We're going to front the bail money for him. And I know that he's going through some real difficult times. Minnesota is probably not a safe place for him. We're going to invite him to live in our house, right? We're going to move out of our bedroom. We're going to move into one of the kids' bedrooms. He's going to have kind of our master bedroom. Have, um, he's going to eat with us. He's going to be part of our family. He's going to start worshiping with us on a Sunday morning at, at church, right? Um, imagine if, if we did that or your family did that, right? Imagine if you did that the amount of protest and riot and fury that would be at our front door or at your front door, right? So just because God sides with the oppressed, right, does not mean that he always opposes the oppressor. It's possible to um, oppose them and still give comfort to them. In our current conversations, we have this kind of false dichotomy that you're either for the oppressed and against the oppressor, or you're for the oppressed and you're against, right? We have this kind of false dichotomy that, that is our dialogue. It's, a po- it's possible for us as Christians to look at the African-American community and say, they, this is an oppressed community. This has been, they have been, over for 400 years in our nation have been oppressed, and God sides with them, and we side with them, and we want to see them have justice, and we want to hear their voices heard, And we want to see God rescue them and deliver them from poverty and abuse and brutality and pain and suffering, right? And yet we're not opposed to the oppressor, right? We pray for the police. We comfort them. We ask that God would soften their hearts, that he would extend love and grace and truth to them to see if there's any way that they've exploited people, taken advantage, used the system to their benefit. God, that you would humble them, that that they would be restored. These two people would be restored together, right? And let me just kind of just put in, I think I wanted to mention this a little earlier. In this sermon, um, I hope that you're not hearing that all police are simply oppressors, okay? I'm simply trying to say this is a current, a current dialogue that we have going on, right? My heart is not to say, hey, the police are just here to hold us down and to put us down. That's not my heart. I'm just trying to use a current dialogue and show how our conversations are working and what Jesus is doing, right? Jesus, Jesus, I would say this, I would say that you would probably see Jesus marching in the protests and the very next day inviting the officers into his house and dining with them and having supper with them. And Jesus, again, when, until, you, until you see Zacchaeus as an oppressor, until you see Zacchaeus as someone who kind of makes your stomach upset, until you see Zacchaeus in that way, you miss what Jesus is doing in the story. Because Jesus has the heart to see oppression, right? This is why he ends the, the passage with lostness, right? Jesus, when he sees the oppression, does not get angry and does not have vitriol and does not grump and does not fall in line with the crowd. Jesus, when he sees the oppressor, he sees that as lostness, as a condition that needs salvation, Zacchaeus, today, my oppressor friend, salvation has come to your house. Are you with me so far? This is Jesus. This is, I would say, this is the unexpected. Remember the the climax of the story? What's the climax of the story? The unexpected, costly love, right? The unexpected, costly love that gets Jesus killed. 
It is. Because Jesus is on one hand willing to go stand with the oppressors, and on the other hand willing to go eat in the house of, um, or stand with the oppressed and go eat in the house of the oppressors. And people just, they didn't have, they didn't have context for that. It'd be this exact same thing as if we did it today, right? As if we said, hey, I'm going to go march um, in the protest in Long Beach or wherever. And then at the same time, and then the very next day, you're inviting Chavin and some of those police officers over to your house and having dinner and allowing them to live with you and paying their bail. We don't have context for that. We don't have that. Jesus was able to stand in the middle of those two, right? The oppressed and the oppressor. And, and Jesus' unexpected, uh, costly act of love leads to the reconciliation between the oppressor and the oppressed, right? Zacchaeus says, I'm going to begin to pay back everybody. I'm going to begin to have reconciliation with everybody. Those who I've cheated, I'm going to give my finances to. I'm going to empty, I'm going to empty myself for their benefit. This is the standard of Jesus' love for both the oppressed and the oppressors. I'll close with this verse. 2 Peter uh, 3, Paul, uh, Peter's giving this, this talk. Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.9. He said, God is being patient with you, right? God is being patient with you. Now, in this context, you could, be, you could be oppressed. You could be an oppressor, right? God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and live, right? Let me close one more time with that quote. I think it's just so important, right? Bailey says this. He says, Just because God often sides with the oppressed, we, the oppressed, and we see that with the scripture, he often, he almost inevitably sides with the oppressed, does not mean he always opposes the oppressor. It's possible to, possible to oppose the oppressor and still give comfort to them. Okay, I think that's enough for the morning. Let me say a word of prayer and then we'll do, we'll do just a few minutes of discussion. Lord, thank you for this time to be together Jesus, your words are so challenging today, um, even as they were uh, thousands of years ago. They're just relevant. They just hit us right where our, our current situation is, where we see oppressed, we see oppressors, we see the tension, we see the battle. Jesus, you stand right in the middle of that, and you stretch out your arms. And your unexpected, costly love is the solution that brings reconciliation, renewal, salvation, hope, a new way forward in this world. And we turn our eyes to you, Jesus. We don't turn our eyes to the news. We don't turn our eyes to uh, commentary. We don't turn our eyes to social media. We turn our eyes to the Bible and to the scripture and to prayer that we may stand in between as you did with unexpected and costly love. We pray all these things. Strengthen us, Father, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's do this. Uh, if you got somebody by you, Maurice, I'll come over.